Amen. Right, so Jonah. Jonah, the book of Jonah is our new Bible study on a Sunday evening. Um, obviously, we're starting Jonah chapter one. Who was Jonah? Who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet who was alive in or before the reign of jo Jeroboam II. So he, he's also uh, mentioned in, you don't have to turn there, it's a quick mention, I'll just read it out in 2 Kings 14.25, which talking of the second Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, says he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gathhepha. Now, this is approximately 80, 820 years BC, so before the Lord came. And it is pretty clear, obviously, that Jonah was a prophet, a servant of the Lord, it says here. Okay, so of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. Now, we see in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, it says the word of the Lord came unto him. It says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, so it's the same one, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Um, I'd like to also go to the Lord in a quick word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this great book of the Bible. I thank you for, um, for the book of Jonah. I thank you for the truths we can learn from it. Please help me to preach accurately and clearly now. Help me to preach boldly. Help people to just be attentive now, to stay awake. Uh, please keep the distractions to a minimum and help those here just to have open, open ears and open hearts to what your word's got to say to them. Help me to be fully a spirit, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. So God tells this prophet, this preacher Jonah here, to go to to a place called Nineveh and basically shout or yell against it. That's what he means by crying here. He's not saying go and have a little sob and a little boo-hoo. He's saying go and shout against it. Where, where is Nineveh? So just to give you an idea of this, well, now it's, it's northern Iraq. It's the area we now know of as northern Iraq. Then it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and it was a huge city, okay? It was a big, huge city. It had a population of more than 120,000, we see, according to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11, which without high-rise flats is pretty big, right? Yeah, 120,000 single-storey, I'd imagine, dwellings is big, yeah? Very big. Um, the, the, the books of the minor prophets Nahum and Zephaniah predict its eventual total destruction as well. And, and by the way, no one seemed to find any trace of it. So it was actually a bit of a kind of, people were even trying to suggest it was possibly a myth and everything else and, and were questioning the, the validity of the Bible account of this place, Nineveh. But in re recent history, there have actually been loads of archaeological findings of, of Nineveh and, and loads of things which have just completely backed up the biblical account. And I'm not going to go into all that because no one really needs that here, okay? We, we know the word of God's true by faith in the Word of God, don't we? And, and, and we know that every word is true. But it's just been quite interesting that more recently, having had a lot of doubt and, and debate about this, uh, there's been a lot found recently. And it's basically this huge, powerful, great city. And it's by no means a city with God's people in it. Okay, I, I don't know if there was any, maybe there were some people saved there, but uh, it was very few, if any. Um, this is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the prophet Jonah is told to go and preach against it. Now notice he's not told to go and preach there and cozy up and cuddle up with everyone and try and be, you know, a, a shining light and everything else. And hopefully he's going to blend in and people... No, he's told to preach against the city. Preach against this huge, this powerful city. Because of their wickedness, 
That's why he's being told to preach against it because of their wickedness. Doesn't sound like an easy job, does it? That does not sound like an easy job. He's got to go to this place, to this going to be a very hostile environment, and preach against it and lift up his voice and shout and yell and scream about how wicked a place this is, how wicked the people are, the wicked sins that they're involved in, the wickedness that's going on there. That's not an easy job, is it? Yeah, that's not, not a job for the faint-hearted. And you can kind of understand why maybe Jonah here maybe isn't so keen on this job. Yeah, because we could kind of look at it, go, oh, God told him to do something, he's just running away. Well, I would like to see how many people here would be willing to do similar uh, and just go there and start screaming and shouting in the streets of some city somewhere where there's probably full of heathens and everything else. Um, but it's not an easy job because being a servant of God, preaching, and, and look, again, I'm not talking about myself here, you guys who do men's preaching nights, yeah? You ladies that go out preaching the gospel, you men that go out preaching the gospel, visiting, preaching in the future, just preaching the word of God, preaching the, tr the truth in, in what is a sinful and adulterous generation, it's not an easy job, is it? It's not an easy job at all. It's not all handshakes and five-star reviews, okay, if anyone's wondering. And I think some people, maybe, maybe when they first got saved, maybe people kind of looked at some of these preachers and thought, I want to be there. I want to be the next Pastor Anderson. You know, and people are going to be just, you know, telling me how great I am and it's going to be likes and wow and the fame and everything else. And there are people out there like that, yeah? And, and many pastors talked about people like that out there. But it's not like that, is it? Okay, because it's not. It's not a popular job. But it's not popular just going out and preaching the gospel anyway. And, and praise God that people here go and preach the gospel. But, I mean, we had it today. We're preaching the gospel. A guy was parked across what interestingly this kind of semi-driveway-ish side of a house was covered in rubble as well so no one could even park in it and the guy that we're trying to preach through the car window wants to listen who's kind of jacked up half on the curb you know it's a bit of a weird position he's in wants to listen we preach to him suddenly the window opens this guy starts effing and blinding you know shouting at us I don't want to hear your effing this and that and and etc I mean, just, just unreal, and, and, you know, and you're in the middle of preaching the gospel, and I said to him, why, you know, you don't have to F and blind, blah, 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 why, why do you, I, said, I think I said to him, well, why do you hate the Bible, why do you hate God, or something along those lines, and then, then it starts winding you up, you know, and, and I'm with Brother Lucky here, and Brother Lucky thinking, oh, wow, you know, because it, it's just, it's unreal, isn't it, but that's one guy, and we find that hard sometimes, don't we, and we're thinking, you know, and you start to get tempted to get in the flesh there, when someone's shouting abuse at you for daring to be near near his house preaching from the word of God, let alone going to a city and, and crying against it. And that's not, it's not easy, is it? And none of us have had to do that. And look, you know, I know you get these idiots that think they're so bold because they get soapbox out and, you know, stand in the street and talk a load of nonsense. But when you're really preaching the truth, that's when you come up against the, the obstacles, don't you? Yeah. yeah, the repent of your sins preacher generally gets laughed at. But when you're up there and you're preaching the truth, you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching <laughs> what the word of God says, and when you are a child of God, then you're going to come up against opposition, aren't you? Mm. And Jonah obviously isn't looking forward to this. It's not always popular with God's people, let alone with the heathen. 
let alone with a heathen. Look, it's not always, but look, when I stand here and I'm preaching on sins that, that affect people in the church, I'm not expecting it to be popular. That's not necessarily fun. When a man stands up here on men's preaching, I preach something that maybe he feels, look, that's going to convict some people. Maybe he's felt drawn to preach that. Look, maybe he knows I, I'm not going to be that popular off this, but that's not why we're up here, is it? It's not a popularity contest. And I've said this many times before. If you're standing behind a pulpit trying to be popular, trying to be everyone's best friend, then you're in the wrong, wrong job, yeah? yeah. You go and stand somewhere else, yeah? Because when you preach the truth, the word of God, firstly, it's not going to be popular with God's people, let alone with the world. Yeah. Let alone with the world. So Jonah's been asked to go and do that. Jonah hasn't just been asked. Jonah's been told to go and do that. So how did Jonah respond to God's command? He legged it. He legged it. Jonah went literally the other direction it says in verse 3 but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord now it seems that Tarshish is a port in the south of Spain and look, if you, if you know your geography at all he's basically been told to go kind of northeast-ish and he's gone kind of as far as he can southwest, yeah? He's just gone, look, he's just gone as far as he can, all the way over to, to a port sort of in the south of Spain. And look, that's kind of a bit of a fleeing. That's not just like, oh God, give me a bit of time, oh, I'm waiting. He's just legged it, yeah? He's done the complete opposite. Now, what was Jonah called here? Jonah... The servant of the Lord, yeah? I just, I just showed you, didn't I? The prophet, yeah? The prophet Jonah. He's directly commanded to go and preach in Nineveh. And he basically says, I quit, yeah? He says, no, I quit. Now, according to our, our unsaved, think they're saved Christians out there, many of these, what would be their initial response to Jonah? Must be unsaved. Must be unsaved. He's gone the other direction. <laughs> he's not even in church. Not even in church. He's literally legged it. Yeah, he's gone the other. I oh, must be unsaved. How can he be saved? Isn't that the sort of nonsense you hear? Well, if he's not, if he's not in the things of God, was he saved in the? F was he saved? He's a prophet of the Lord, but he's running the other direction, hasn't he? Must be in some wicked sin. How about that? Backslidden wickedness. Jonah must be. But. But again, we don't see any, any example of that. He's, okay, you could say it is a wicked sin, just completely rejecting the commandment of God, but it's not that he's in some sort of debauchery or something else. How about this one? Well, if you're saved, you would follow God's commandments. Yeah. yeah? Heard that one a lot, haven't you? Well, if you were saved, you wouldn't do that. What is it you wouldn't do then? Well, it, uh, but would you, do, you know, when you ask someone a question, well, what if you did that? Well, if you were saved, you wouldn't do that. So, sorry, what's the line? What is it that you would or wouldn't do if you're saved and not saved? And again, you hear all this stuff out there, don't you? And, and it's just so far removed from the word of God. If I was saved, well, I wouldn't go and do this. Jonah went to the other side of the world. He was a prophet and he was told what to do and he went to the other side of the world. But, but again... It's lost on people that want to somehow justify themselves and not just put their faith in the Lord for salvation. Now, God's prophet wanted to hide from God. He said, I'm done, I'm not doing it. Yeah, okay, we've seen that. He said, I'm not doing it, I'm not going there, I'm not going to Nineveh, no. And we can all have times when we feel like that, can't we? Yeah, everyone here has had times when they feel like just saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not going soul winning. How about that? Yeah, I'm not going soul winning. Now, Jonah, we've just been saying, you can understand it with Jonah, but look, other people, 
you, you go to you go to especially you know some of the false churches especially the very liberal and weak sort of types and they'd be like what on earth you know you know is that is that really do you really need to go out and preach the gospel well, the bible says preach the gospel doesn't it but many people turn around and go i'm not doing it i'm not doing it no i'm not going what about what about preaching the gospel and it might look, look for some for some going out and preaching the gospel to a stranger is petrifying yeah Going out and approaching someone, knocking on their door, going up to someone and trying to talk to them about the things of God is, is terrifying. But for other people, it's, it's okay. But, you know, for some people, do you know what else is terrifying? It's maybe to family or friends. Maybe to that thinks they're clever, evolutionist type, you know, family member. Maybe that one's a bit more scary. Maybe the one who seems to be very well read or just is just awkward. Maybe one of those awkward people, one, maybe one of those mockers, one of those mocking scorn. Again, but God tells us to preach the gospel to every creature, doesn't he? Amen. Yeah, doesn't he? So sometimes, the, sometimes you're the only person. Look, we can't knock every door. How many churches in this nation are knocking on the door with the correct gospel? Anyone know of any others? Knock, going out, knocking on the door with the correct gospel. No, there's a couple. Okay, I, know of a couple I know of a couple of saved people that are at churches going out and doing that. Okay? And, and look, there are, look, I'm not trying to be, we're the only one. And I, look, this nation, by the way, is different to the US. And when you do, and I, I remind people this, when you hear preaching from the US, and it's good preaching, saying, find a church, go to a church. There is a church. Don't be one of those where there's no church. Yeah? completely agree in the US yeah. here it is a bit of a different kettle of fish yeah. okay it's not that there's just all these like IFB churches but they're just not they don't agree with us it's pretty bad isn't right. it yeah. okay you're hard-pressed to find a church where they believe the right. gospel Amen. okay but but with that there are there's a couple but going out and knocking the doors I mean you're talking like a couple of people in these congregations three four maybe five once a week on a Sunday maybe going out and knocking the is someone, do you think, going to knock the door of your family member who lives nowhere near this church? Do you think that's going to happen? I don't think so. And unless you can get one of your church members to go and knock on their door because you think maybe they're more likely to listen to them. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, by the way. Look, the chances are you're probably the only person that's going to have the opportunity to preach them the gospel. And God tells us to preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah. But how many people go, yeah, well, I'm knocking the door in the week. I'm knocking the door on the weekend. I'm going and preaching the gospel. <laughs> Forget them. I just can't deal with the embarrassment, the awkwardness, the mocking, the shame, or whatever it is that you feel you're going to get from that person. It's going to be awkward at family parties afterwards. Oh dear, it's going to be a bit funny. Yeah, how many people? Yeah? But we're told to preach the gospel. Friends, and like I said, sometimes strangers, sometimes strangers, it's other people that are fine with the family and friends. They're all right with the people that they're comfortable with. It's not so easy with the strangers. Well, we don't want to be leggy it, do we? We don't want to be on that ship to Tarshish. And here's another one. How many preachers, though, are on the ship to Tarshish? How many preachers are not doing what they've been commanded by God to do? Because the reason that we haven't got churches around this nation going out and preaching the gospel and going out and doing that is because the preachers aren't sending them out. Because the preachers aren't preaching the word of God. And how many of them are on the ship to Tarshish? Just on the first point alone. God said in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Because a man of God is told to shout against sin. 
is told to lift up his voice against sin. You don't have to turn to Isaiah 58, 1, a famous verse. Isaiah is told to cry aloud, that shout aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. We are commanded to do that, aren't we? Now look, you don't have to shout every word that comes out of your mouth if you're behind a pulpit, but we are told to go and show God's people their transgression, and sometimes, and in fact all the time as well, we are also told to shine the light on those nations around us and shine the light on their wickedness because we have to live amongst them. So, on that, just a quick list I thought of here, Jeremiah, Zechariah, John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter and Paul in Acts are all described as crying, or as we would call it, shouting when they preach. Okay, and that's just ones who are described as that, and I'm sure that the rest of them were doing it as well. Okay, that's just what I, what I found once when I went through this a while back. As Jonah was commanded to hear, and a cry against the wickedness of that city of that nation, yeah? But if you're going to a church week after week, yeah? And again, it doesn't have to be every week, but if you start getting into the multiple weeks, and you're not hearing any sin getting preached about, no sin being named and shamed. No sin getting preached about. Then that preacher is already on his way to Tarshish. Isn't yeah. he? Yeah. He's already running from the Lord. He's running from the commandment of the Lord and going in the other direction. Yeah. And where does that direction end up? It ends up in just some sort of liberal excuse for a church where people are just standing there trying to tickle the ears of their congregants. And it's wicked. And look, it's hard going. I've said it before. And I know for many people here, it's still early days of being in a proper church. Being in a church where really you're getting your sins preached on. Being in a church where sometimes you're getting shouted at, where sometimes you're getting your feathers ruffled. But, and it can be hard going, but you know what? It, that's what the Word of God commands. And it's good for you. And, and good on you that, you that many of you are still sitting here going, yeah, I'm going I'm to hear, I'm gonna hear some, some preaching sometimes. And look, I'm not saying I'm the best preacher, but what I am saying is I'm trying to preach the Word of God like the Word of God commands it to be preached. And how many preachers are doing it nowadays? And how many of these guys are probably already in Tarshish on a deck chair eating tappets? Because they're sure as hell not doing what God commanded them to and they haven't been doing it for a long time. And I don't think the journey's that long. And I think they end up there and they're just then it's just all downhill from there, isn't it? Because you go to these places and, you, and you're at these places, you've got the King James. You seem to have the gospel right, yet we're just spending week after week after week kind of dissecting one verse and we haven't really got anywhere or we're spending week after week after week hearing the gospel just dressed up with a different ribbon and a different kind of different story proceeding and, fo and following it but that's not what the word of God calls for and that's and and what was Jonah told to do preach the word now it's not just the preachers because there are there are many hard things not just preaching there are many hard things that God commands us to do yeah where every single person here has hard things that God commands them to do. And that's often when we start hiding. That's when we start hiding from God, when we know there's something that we should be doing as men, women, children of God. That's a lot of the time when we start hiding, when we start getting the, the boat in the other direction. That's when the Bible goes away, isn't it? When there's something you know you should be doing, there's some decision you know you should be making, there's something you know you should be doing, and that's when you start to distance from God. It happens, it will continue to happen in probably everyone here's lives at some point or another. The praying gets less. 
Yeah, suddenly the prayers get a little bit harder, don't they? When you know there's something you should be doing for God, when you know there's some sin in your life you should be getting rid of, when there's some decision you should be making, when there's something you should be doing to be in the, in the will of God, that's when the praying gets less. That's when the Bible reading gets less, isn't it? Yeah. That's when the church attendance starts to get less, doesn't it? That's when there seems to be more and more excuses not to be at church. Well, how many hide from the Lord because maybe they don't want to make that journey to church? How about that? They don't want to make that journey. They don't want to be around God's people. So then they start hiding from the Lord. They start hiding from the word of God. A lot of the time you'll find someone who's not in church. Do you think they're really sitting there and their Bible reading's like solid? Every day at this time I'm reading my Bible. My prayer's solid. My soul when he's I just don't go to church. Yeah. Look, it might go last for a little while. It quickly slips. Yeah. yeah? And, the, and it's kind of, it's a bit of a vicious circle as well, because then in the same way, the people who aren't reading the Bible regularly, the people that aren't praying regularly, the people that aren't soul winning regularly, a lot of the time the, the church going slips, doesn't it? And the church attendance slips and other things start to come in the way and other excuses start to be made. If you're not in church, or let's just point this out, because I preach this stuff and I know we have people viewing sometimes and people that we do try and make the live stream accessible, yeah it's not a replacement, but we do have people in countries where there is not a church, but look, if there's literally nothing nothing at all it doesn't sound like they're going to be able to start up some, something soon, they should be making an effort to try and find a way of being in church okay, look, I understand that's hard, yeah, I understand it's not easy to change your whole life, to relocate but what do you think God wants you to do? Do you think it was easy for Jonah to go to Nineveh? No, but what did God tell him to do? To go to Nineveh. And look, God wants us in church, but there are people that maybe are in the process of what might eventually be a church plant in the future. Maybe there are people that are starting to form what we formed here. And look, praise God, that's great, yeah? They should still try and visit a church regularly, I think as regular as they can but I'd, I wouldn't say right it, like if everyone just moved then there would be probably only a couple of countries <laughs> with Christians in it wouldn't there yeah okay and we should try and work sometimes what we got but they should be networking they should be they should be trying to find other believers they should be soul winning they should be congregating they should be doing things they should be trying to be part of some the nearest church they can in the meantime and trying to find a way of of being some sort of catalyst to a church in the future so you should be one of those two things because if not you might as well be in tarshish yeah you might because what are you going to be what are you doing you might as well be in tarshish if you're swerving soul winning you're sailing to tarshish by the way if you're swerving soul when you, if you're refusing to go to soul when you already you already got one foot on 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 deck haven't you yeah. and by the way you don't want to have like one foot on because when those those boats start moving and stuff you suddenly you're doing the splits yeah you don't you don't want to be doing the splits you want to be making sure that you're in the things of god make sure you're in the things of god and you're not starting that slippery slope starting that voyage that journey hiding from god because it's not always easy to come back from there and and look god wants you back but it's not always easy so is that journey, do you think that journey is going to be a pleasure cruise? Was it a pleasure cruise for Jonah? Oh, well, well, you can hide from God, it's up to you. Well, it definitely wasn't. Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like 
to be broken. Now, I'm sure when Jonah boarded that ship that he probably didn't imagine it was going to be like that. He probably thought, he maybe got on a nice, nice cruise ship. He probably thought he's going to have a nice, comfortable bed on it. I think he did have a comfortable bed because he's sleeping actually further on. But he probably thought it was going to be a nice journey. But no, it looks like there was then a mighty tempest in the sea. And sometimes it does take a mighty tempest to get our attention, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's sometimes, often it's the storms in life which then put our attention back to God, yeah? It's often the storms in life that, that, is, that are when we do turn back. They're the times that we do start praying to God. And look, you start, you, you, a lot of the time when things get a bit easy, that's when we don't really seek God, isn't it? Yeah, that's the truth of the Christian life. And we need those storms a lot of the time. And those storms make us get on our knees and pray to God. They make us get back in the Word. They make us get back into church for those who aren't doing those things and for those who are out of church. They make us do the things of God, yeah? But do you know what's even better is to be doing the things of God anyway, yeah? Make sure you're doing the things of God in the first place. You want to swerve those storms, don't get on the ship in the first place. Because it's quite stormy out at sea, apparently. Well, it seems here it's quite stormy. It was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. And, and there is another point here, isn't there, that, that you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah. yeah, Christian, you're saved. You can run from God, but you can't hide. And God is long-suffering sometimes. And some, some people might be sitting here thinking, well, I haven't really been doing much. I've, you know, come along or whatever else it is, whoever it is here. Maybe not. Maybe people watching online. Maybe pe people in the future. Maybe people look back in the past and think that. But you know you can't hide forever. Yeah, I don't know how far they've gone on their way to Tarshish, but God will find you in the end, yeah? And God will get your attention, and God does want you back. You can still choose not to be, you can still choose not to have the things of God, but, and you can run, but you can't hide. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, aren't they? Beholding the evil and the good, and, and they are everywhere, okay? God sees everything you do. It doesn't matter if you've got out of this church, oh, it's okay, the other church members can't see me now. Look, we're not who you, who you should be worried about. Yeah, it's God who you should be worried about. Oh, well, God's not wherever it is. God's not in my workplace. Yeah, he is. He's in your workplace. Yeah. Oh, well, God's not, God's not at home when I'm just on my own with the kids. Yep, God's at home when you're there with the kids, yes. mums. Yeah, God is everywhere. Okay, and he sees everything you do. And, and he, he hears everything you say. Yeah. And in fact, he hears everything that you say in your mind and on your heart. Amen. In fact, he knows it before you say it. Yeah, so, you know, it's probably a good idea to get right with God, yeah? So, verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now, there are a couple of points here. Firstly, I would hope, and maybe, maybe you would miss it, you know, sometimes you've just got to sit down and read it carefully. You can't miss a picture of Christ here, can you? Okay, you can't miss a picture of Jesus Christ. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Here in Jonah, we see a great wind, a mighty tempest, the men are afraid, and Jonah is somehow asleep, yeah, during what is, seems to be a pretty, pretty mighty tempest. Now look at Mark chapter 4, and from verse 36, Mark 4, 36, 
and this is Jesus Christ. And when they had sent away the multitude, this is Mark 4.36, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and sound to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Makes you think of that hymn, doesn't it? <laughs> well, is that a coincidence, do you think? Is it a coincidence that this seems to be the exact same situation as with Jonah, however many 800-odd years before, 850 years before? No way. Jonah's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And this event, by the way, is also recorded in Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, in case you make it, miss it, it marks, yeah? It's in three of the four Gospels. And, and here it's clearly a picture there because it's showing that he's, he is this picture of Jesus Christ. Or, in, in, or also when you read after as you're seeing Jesus Christ, you're seeing then this, this similarity to Jonah here. Okay, so... And also, it's not just the sleeping bit, okay? The sleeping bit while this storm's going on. Just like Jonah's actions stopped the storm, so does Jesus. So where you are, verse 39, it says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it, it, how is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And we're going to to also see the continual fear of Jonah's shipmate, similar situation here. Go back to Jonah chapter 1 with that in mind. And it doesn't stop there, by the way, because there's, then there's a symbolism of Jonah giving his life for the people. So, <clears throat> and obviously it's, it's because of that that then eventually the, the wind stops and the, pe and the sea still like we just saw in Mark there. But, Verse 12 in Jonah 1, we just jump forward for a second, says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea become unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Okay, so th that's some of the many pictures of Christ right at the beginning of this story, and we're going to see more. But let's look at it just on the surface for a minute, though. Okay, so take away that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, that foreshadowing of Christ, and there's this mighty tempest, right? Verse 5, where you are in Jonah 1, says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Now, that for me is a pretty down and depressed Jonah, isn't it? To be able to sleep through that. Now, whether he slept through the whole thing or he knew what was happening and then managed to go to sleep. Either way, that's, that's some ability to go to sleep there. And I, I would, I'm, okay, I can't be 100% here, but I would say it's some ability to go to sleep here because he's pretty depressed. And if you've ever been pretty down in the dumps or even clinically depressed, you probably know that you're pretty tired when you feel like that. And it's pretty easy for most people who feel like that to sleep and to sleep hours and hours and hours. You're thinking, how on earth does someone sleep that long? Well, because they're depressed, and here's the thing, running away from God, 
running in the other direction when you're a child of God, when you have the Holy Spirit, okay? There's no indwelling Holy Spirit at this point here, but you're a child of God, you know the Word of God, you know what you should be doing. And for us as children of God with the indwelling Holy Spirit, it's a pretty depressing thing to then be running in the other direction, okay? It can make you pretty low, it can make you pretty depressed. And I'll tell you what, when you see Christians who are very low a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, it's because they're going away from the things of God. But then it becomes this vicious circle, doesn't it? Because then they're just feeling tired, they just want to sleep the whole time. Now he just wants to sleep. But does that solve anything? Does it solve it for, does the tempest just stop? Does he just sleep it through and then things just start to get better again? It doesn't solve anything because we have to face things eventually, don't we? So if, again, look, it's not always easy. Sometimes people go through some hard stuff in life. Sometimes people deal with it different to other people. And sometimes people can be feeling pretty low and pretty tired, but it doesn't solve your problems, does it? You still have to face your problems. You're better to face them earlier than face them after you've been sleeping and the tempest has been going on for, for several hours and all the wares of the ship are being thrown overboard and you're, back, and you're down to a point of kind of no return, yeah? It's better to just deal with it because the sleep ain't going to solve anything, is it? The sleep doesn't solve it and it doesn't solve it for Jonah here. So the shipmaster came to him, verse 6, and said unto him, What meanest thou, sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now notice how these guys, or at least the shipmaster, is pretty ecumenical, like most worshippers of false gods are, yeah? They're pretty ecumenical. Verse 5, it said, Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, in small g. So they've got all these different gods, these different idols, you know, different pagan gods. In verse 6, the shipmaster says, Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And it's kind of a bit of a just like any God will do, you know, all one path, isn't it? It's like, because most of the time, most of these people aren't really that sincere, are they? Yeah, you knock, how many times you knock on a door? Oh, yes, I'm a Catholic. Oh, okay, so you believe in blood? Oh, no, I believe in reincarnation. Oh, no, I, honestly, don't you get that? No, I, well, I believe there's not really a heaven or hell. So, does the Roman Catholic Church teach heaven and hell? Or I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, you fill in the blank. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, how many times you knock on a door? I'm a Muslim. Well, I believe that, you know, as long as it, I had this feast, as long as it's one God, any God doesn't matter. I mean, this guy had gone beyond the, well, it's, it's one God, the Abrahamic religion type thing. He'd gone way beyond that. As long as like the Hindus worship one God, whatever God it is, one God, fine, go to heaven. I mean, it, it, it's a nonsense, isn't it? But because really, because it's just another false God. And I say this many times as well, how all these people... All these like different versions of work salvation, whether it's pre-salvation, during salvation, in terms of at that time you had to do something, or post-salvation, it's all work salvation. They don't really seem that fussed by each other, do they? They don't really seem that fussed by the other work salvation. Who do they really seem worked up by? Grace through faith. How angry do they, are you saying you can do anything? How angry do they get by grace through faith? Yet they don't seem to be fussed by all the other... Like, well, if your way's away, if your belief's away, why do you not care about the other work salvationists? Whose all ways differ from some way to another? Because it's all work salvation, because they're all just one big religion. Yeah. And that's why they don't care. But they try and just, just try and gaslight you and try and get you... Like, you're some sort of... 
you know, how dare you suggest this? And it's like, that's what the Word of God says. It's what the Word of God says. But hard, isn't it? And these guys are the same. These guys, just any God, any God will do. Any God, just call upon your God, yeah? Call upon your God. You know, if we call upon enough gods, one of them might answer. It's that sort of attitude, isn't it? Yeah. Do it enough ways, some, something will work out. And people do that, don't they? There are people that will go into many different, you know, types of, well, I tried a bit of this, I did a bit of spiritualism, I went and tried a bit of Buddhism, I tried a bit of this. Any God will do, you know, just to, you know, spread your net far enough. Well, verse 7 says, And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell upon Jonah. And this is kind of like drawing straws, and Jonah's the odd one out here. Verse 8 says, Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you, this is only part of what he said, because look at verse, verse 10. Verse 10 it says, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So, we kind of get this statement in, in verse 9, but the statement, yeah, he, it's, not, it's not a full statement. He clearly said this, but he didn't say this is the only thing he said, okay? So he's also told them other stuff. Now, I just find it interesting because he's answered more in depth, but the highlight in verse 9 is that he declares unto them who the Lord is. Verse 9, he said, And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, which has made the sea and the dry land. So he makes it real clear who God is, yeah? I mean, he's a preacher at heart, this guy, isn't he? Even when he's backslidden state, he's running the other way, and then he's like, let's preach the Lord to these worshippers of false gods. I don't know, how far do you think he went? Verse 11 then says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So there's this picture of Jesus Christ being the only way of salvation. Remember, he's a picture of Jesus Christ. The only way of them being saved from this is by casting him, is by shedding his blood. Yes, okay, he's not necessarily going to bleed in the sea, but you get the point, yeah? It's by him paying for it. Verse 13, nevertheless, nevertheless, so he's told them this is the way. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them and again that for me is just a picture of work salvation isn't it they're, they're told you you know you could be saved if you throw me overboard yeah he's preached to them as well who the Lord is you need to get rid of me and they're like no we're going to try and work our way we're going to work our way to shore we're going to row our way to shore but it doesn't matter how hard you work you can't save yourself it doesn't matter how hard you work how hard you try and work to get saved, how hard you think you're working after your salvation, whatever it is, it ain't salvation if you're working for it and you cannot work hard enough. You want to, yeah, good luck to you. You want to try and be judged by works? Great. Because Romans 11:6 6 says, and if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of work, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. So look, if you want to go for work, 
Go ahead. Go for work. But that means you, the grace is gone. Yeah, the grace is gone. Any little addition of works you add to salvation and you're working your way to heaven. And good luck with that because they try to work their way to salvation. Yeah, this is obviously a picture here. And they couldn't because look, you try and row in a tempest and you're going to be going all over the place, aren't you? Every angle it's coming from you. Every way, which way you go, the sea, the waves are tossing you about. It's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. And look, Life is a tempest. You're unsaved, yeah? You're in a tempest, yeah? And there's one way out of it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one way of salvation, and that's the Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not him plus your works. Not him plus anything else. It's him, and it's him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Not your own version of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not your oneness version of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not any other version of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. The Son of God, God manifest in the flesh. Okay, they're trying to row. They obviously, probably at some point, felt like they were getting somewhere, don't you think? They probably, you know, had a little bit when they were going downhill, down a wave, and they're like, okay, we're getting somewhere. I don't know what, I've managed to get rid of that sin. And then suddenly, whoosh, you know, let's smash with the next one. Because, look, you try and work your way, you, you ain't getting nowhere. You're not getting nowhere. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord. They tried to work. They saw the folly. They cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. So they're saying, don't blame us for killing him. Yeah? Don't blame us, you know, basically... They know what they're going to do here. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. Now that must have been an amazing sight to see, right? Yeah. Imagine that for these guys. They've finally thrown him into the sea and suddenly just calm. Amazing, right? This happened. Every single word of this is true. That happened and those men witnessed that. Okay. So what was the result after that amazing sight? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So what's happened here? Don't forget in verse 5 they were calling to their God small g. Now they're shouting to the Lord. The Lord, Jehovah, O Lord, capital letters. And then verse, verse 6, so before that we saw the shipmaster... He's kind of referring to the Lord God as a generic God, because he's saying to him, what meanest thou see, but arise, call upon thy God, you know, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And then verse 8 to 10 said, Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? So remember, he said unto them, part of what he said was, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why has thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So according, like I said, to, it seems like he's preached something to them. According to verse 9, he's preached some amount of truth about God for them to understand why he was fleeing and everything else. And in verse 10, it's apparent that he's told them more, obviously, than verse 9. Then in verse 14, they're praying to him, the Lord, by his name, 
Lord, Jehovah. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleases thee. There's a definite difference there, doesn't there? And in verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, they're not only fearing the Lord exceedingly, but offering sacrifices to him. Okay, I, I don't want to like jump to, right, they got saved, yeah? But I tell you what, they don't all seem to have a better understanding of God, don't they? Yeah. They understand need, and look, I think many false religions offer sacrifices, but they're offering it to God here, okay? They're offering sacrifices. We don't know what they've been preached, you know, what's been preached to them at this point. I don't know, but what I do know is that there seems to be some sort of picture there, I believe at least, a picture of salvation. They've thrown him in, they're now saved. And then what do they go and do after that? What everyone should go and do after that and is offer sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, and go to the Lord and serve the Lord. And just because everyone doesn't, doesn't mean that they should. Just because people get saved and go, cheers, mate, I'm done with that, or I'll do it in my own time, doesn't mean that they shouldn't go and serve the Lord. Yeah, and we should be encouraging people to serve the Lord, shouldn't we? Yeah, and I know it sometimes feels uncomfortable because, because on one hand you preach it, it's grace through faith, and it is grace through faith, yeah? But, but, we should be trying to encourage them in the church as well afterwards, shouldn't we? And these guys here, they then, they're then offering a sacrifice unto the Lord. They're making vows. Then verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, something familiar about this three day and three nights, isn't there? Yeah. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Well, I read Matthew 16, 4. You're turning to Matthew 12. Matthew 16, 4 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Now, you've turned to Matthew 12. So there's this sign of the prophet Jonas. That's the sign they're being given. Matthew 12 and verse 38 to 40 says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, Send unto them an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it. But the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Wait a minute. Look, the error. He said the whale's belly. Jonah said a fish. What's happened? It's an error in the Bible, isn't it? Is it an error in the Bible? No, it's not an error in the Bible. Yeah, because just because our, our world's decided that a whale is a mammal, yeah, because they have their own classification. Well, under God's classification, which I'm more willing to go with God's classification than some, some people there that think they know it all, God decides that a whale is a fish. Yeah, and we don't need to change that. We don't need to apologise for that, do we? And, and be embarrassed that, look, a whale's a fish according to God. Yeah, it swims in the sea. Yeah, <laughs> it goes underwater. Yeah, it does cool stuff in the sea. It's got fins and all of that stuff. For me, it's a fish. And do you remember when you were young, it used to be like the catch-out thing, didn't it? When you were really young, it's like, what's a whale? Fish, oh, no, no, it's a mammal. Because we all just look at it and go, it's a fish. Yeah, you don't show, like, you show kids, like, uh, you know, right, fish swim underwater. Look, here's a load of fish swimming underwater. Look at this one. And they go, mammal. They don't, do they? They go look at another big fish. Then you have to train them and teach them that no, no, because the world's decided that's a mammal. 
yeah, look, there's many similarities between different creatures and things, and yeah, they breathe and all this other stuff. Yeah, great. Yeah, they're a fish, okay, because God says they're a fish. And that's probably about as far as the science lesson is going to go on that. God said they're a fish, so they're a fish. Yeah, if you've got a problem with that, tough. Okay, because that's what the Word of God says, doesn't it? The Word of God says it's a fish, because we've just seen the, the comparison there. And, and he then says, Jesus Christ says a whale's belly, and, and the Word of God said that he was swallowed by a fish. Okay, so, but back to the point of, he said, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And look, you know, ladies and gentlemen, in case you're wondering there, that is hell, okay? That is hell, the heart of the earth. How do we know that hell is in the heart of the earth? Well, we could literally go to many places in Scripture, but turn to number 16, because number 16 is just a nice quick, quick story on this, just to make it very clear what happens when you go to the heart of the earth. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 28, because again, this is one of those teachings which you know, the, the, what seem to be, you know, independent fundamental Baptist churches, there seems to be this kind of rising chorus of people saying it's heretical to suggest that Jesus Christ went to hell. And, and they don't really seem to have much of a reason for that. I don't, I don't really know what their argument is other than they just start shouting and getting angry and really upset about it. And then, you know, and oh, it's a damnable, some of them even say it's damnable heresy. Strange, because what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible said that for as Jonas was three days, three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, what's in the heart of the earth? Well, look at verse 28 where you are, number 16. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. So basically, just to give you an update here, these guys have tried to rebel against ultimately the Lord, but against Moses. Okay, and, and Moses is, you know understandably a little bit annoyed yeah okay so he says if these men die the common death of all men or if they be visited after the visitation of all men then the lord hath not sent me but if the lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them and they go down quick into the pit then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the lord and it came to pass he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in the house, and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Okay, so the ground's opened up. These guys have just gone down into the pit, yeah? The earth's opened up. They've gone into the pit. What's the pit then? Well, the pit is hell. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 2. Turn there if you want, if you're quick. How quick are you? Revelation 9, 2, talking of the angel Abaddon or Apollyon, says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Okay. Sounds a bit hellish, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds hellish. Well, that is the pit. And that's, uh, and that's basically where the devil goes for a thousand years, into the pit. Okay, and that, unfortunately, is where everyone's going who doesn't have their faith in Christ alone for salvation. Yeah. Now, Jesus Christ went there for three days and three nights. And Jonah, as we're going to see when we go to the next chapter, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ spending three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in hell, in the pit, 
which is what happens when the earth opens up and swallows people and they go to the heart of the earth. The pit is hell. Now turn to Acts 2 where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and, and we're just going to see this little passage as well. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, Acts 2.22 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. So what are the pains of death? He loosed the pains of death. This is what happened when he was raised up out of the pit, out of the heart of the earth, out of hell. He loosed the pains of death because hell is torment yeah. hell is torture hell is burning in fire it's the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it for david speaketh concerning him i foresaw the lord always before my face for he is on my right hand that i should not be moved now keep a finger there and turn to psalm 16 which is what is being quoted here psalm chapter 16 in Psalm 16, it's the Psalm of David, who obviously didn't go to hell, yeah? David didn't go to hell. There's only one person, the only begotten of the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah, who actually came back from spiritual death in hell. Okay, no one else, because like we see in Luke 16, they cannot pass from thence to us, yeah? There's no either way, and we know that, that David... David clearly is in heaven. He's a man after God's own heart. Well, Psalm 16, we're going to look from verse 8 because like, like Jonah, David was another Old Testament picture of Christ. And many of his Psalms are also prophecies of Jesus Christ, as Paul is explaining here, where, where, and he's referencing Psalm 16. And from verse 8, we're seeing where it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, David neither went to hell nor was described as thine holy one, was he? No, David wasn't described as unholy one, a name for the Lord. He says in verse 11, Now wilt show me the, the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He also didn't end up at the right hand of God, something reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to turn to Colossians 3, 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Okay, so what's he talked about? Well, it's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, go back to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 26, Acts 2, 26 says, Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now listen what he says here. Men and brethren... This is, uh, this is Peter, sorry. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, 
and neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all, or we all are witnesses. And look, we often go to that verse alone, don't we? And most people, it doesn't really take more than that verse because it shouldn't really have to take more than that verse. But look, it's clear as day, isn't it? It's clear as day. And, and aside from that, all of those burnt offerings, why are all those burnt, why are all those sacrifices burnt in the Old Testament? Why are they all burnt with fire? Burnt with fire, none of it remaining. Burnt with fire, burnt with fire. What, what's the burning about? What's the burnt sacrifice about? Because they're all they're, they're pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's to be burnt with fire, not sodden, yeah? Burnt with fire. Because it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ burning in hell for our sins. And yes, that was enough. Yeah, that was enough to pay for our sins. Yeah, he's paid for all our sins, past, present and future sins. That's what he paid for in hell. He didn't just pay for some of them. He didn't burn for some of them because, you know, well, I'll just, just burn for the, like, the previous ones, you know. No, for the lot, okay. And, and look, it, it, it's a clear doctrine of the Bible. We're not going to hide away from that doctrine, are we? You could argue, I, I, you know, it's not necessarily a doctrine that someone has to believe for salvation. You know, if they believe in that you know, his death paying for your sins, fine, but I, I want to preach, I, when I preach the gospel, I preach hell, I preach, I preach the Lord Jesus Christ going to hell, because if the Lord Jesus Christ went to hell, why would we not make that point, because it's an amazing truth, isn't it, it's an amazing truth that, that for me just gives even more power and strength to the gospel, and the love, and the love of God, yeah, the love of God, and that, that, there's a great truth there and and that truth is pictured in the book of Jonah and that and and again what an amazing just one of the many evidences again you know we don't have to go into all these but they're just interesting aren't they to help to strengthen our faith you've got a story here 800 odd years before the Lord Jesus Christ and what an amazing thing how God like and it's not just a story you've got a, a, an event that happened a historical event that pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. How God just moulds and shapes and does. just It's amazing, isn't it? Alongside men's free will as well. Alongside, just, just amazing how it all works out, but it does. And with that, um, with that we're going to continue uh, when we go next week into chapter 2. Uh, and what, what then happens in that whale or that fish is, doesn't matter which one you want to call it, it's belly. So on that, let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, thank you for a great book of the Bible. Thank you for that great chapter, and thank you for the great truths that we we can get from there. And truths that that you know, running from you is 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 never going to profit us. You know, we're going to be down, we're going to be depressed, we're going to be, we we're going to ultimately have it catch up with us. That you you know, we're going to have things happen to get our attention. Help us not to do that. Help us not to do that in in the many areas of our lives where we can be tempted to do that help us to just just follow you help us to seek you help us to be in your will help us to follow your commandments to want to follow your commandments to to when you tell us to do something to want to do it to do our best to do it lord we know that we're all sinners we know that we're going to get things wrong we know that we all sin regularly that that there's you know not a just man upon us uh, amongst us sorry but we 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 know that look that that you're a forgiving God. We, we, we want to do our best. We want to try our best. Help us to all feel like that, but help us also to, to preach the truth. The truth is that, that you know, that, that we're saved by grace through faith, that Jonah's a picture of that there, being cast into the sea to save those men, and that, 
you know, once he's cast, there's no more casting. He, they didn't have to pull him out and cast him in every time they did a sin. It, it was one time. It was one time that he was cast in to save them. There's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ at death once and for all. We, we thank you for that. We thank you for that truth. Help us to preach that truth this week. Help us to get home safely. Help us to return back Wednesday for the last service in Southend. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. <laughs>